The second reading is 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 12. And this uh, passage of scripture has the second shortest verse in the Bible, which is verse 17. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn the, those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheart, disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are here in the room with us and good morning to the rest of us who are watching from home. It's great to be able to gather in some form or another and it is great to be able to meet gradually some people from the church. So uh, it, it's a wonderful morning. We're going to continue to spend some time looking at that passage now. I'm only, just for the sake of time, only going to be spending uh, time looking at the first paragraph there. But as Peter said, we will have question time later on from all of 1 Thessalonians. So if anyone in the room or anyone at home has a question, there will be an opportunity to ask that later on. The text number will appear on the bottom of the screen or for those in the room, you can just shout it out um, and we'll come to that later on. But uh, let's, let's pray as we continue to reflect on this bit of God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that your spirit will be working in us, in our hearts and minds this morning. As he was at work, as these words were written, we ask that he'll be at work in applying these words to our hearts and minds, that we may be people who respond in faith and love and hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians, we were discussing the issue of being committed to the spiritual well-being of others, being committed to the spiritual well-being of others. And generally speaking, I think that's something that we tend to agree with, right, in principle. So I can imagine back then, if I could have seen back through people's TV screens and computers and tablets and so on, that that's something that we kind of go, yes, I agree, we should be committed to the spiritual well-being of others. But now, as we get to the end of 1 Thessalonians, we start to get a bit more specific about what this looks like in practice in certain areas of life. And it's at this point that maybe some of us could get a little bit less enthusiastic 
for some of us at least, this is where we go from, yes, I agree, to, well, maybe, or yeah, but. Because some of the instructions here perhaps are things that don't always sit well with us, and so it can be a challenge to us. Am I committed to hearing and heeding what God says to me, or am I just kind of nodding along? until it requires something of me that I don't want to do. That's the challenge we face in this passage today. And it seems to me that a lot of what we see here fits into that category of being committed to the spiritual well-being of others. What will that look like in some areas of our life as church together? What will it look like in the way that we relate to our leaders and also in the way that we relate to each other? So firstly, the first question that we're looking at in the first two verses, really, uh, 12 and 13, is what will it look like as we relate to our leaders? And what it tells us in verses 12 and 13 is acknowledge your leaders. Let me read those first two verses from 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love, because of their work. Live at peace with each other. It says, acknowledge your leaders, hold them in the highest regard in love. Now, other parts of the Bible give a name to this kind of leadership role in churches. Names like elder, overseer, pastor, those those titles are kind of used somewhat interchangeably in the New Testament. But no no name or title is given here, just a description of what they do. And did you see the three things that it describes their role with? The first one is that they work hard or they labour among you. Some people labour in the fields as, as they work on their farms, you know, sweat of their brow sort of work. Some people work hard in their trade as a plumber. Some people work hard as, as an accountant or as a teacher. Some people do their work in the home. This is talking about people who labour among us. They sweat over the work of caring for God's people. That's the first thing. The second thing that it describes them as, therefore, or better, they lead you in the Lord. That is, those who exercise pastoral oversight in the church have a responsibility to lead in a way that is helpful for people. And again, it's, it's that kind of idea of being a, a shepherd leading the flock to green pastures and to clean drinking water. They have a responsibility for leadership. And thirdly, they admonish you. And I reckon this is probably the aspect that tends to be the cause of the most difficulty and conflict in churches. Pastoral leaders have a particular responsibility to tell us when we're going say stop no you're heading down the wrong path you need to turn around you need to go back and those of us who are in positions of leadership should pay attention to these three things that tells us about how we should exercise our responsibility working hard leading helpfully admonishing but other parts of the bible focus on instructions to leaders this part of the bible the purpose of this passage is that we all acknowledge our leaders in this work and hold them in the highest regard in love, it says. And just for the sake of time, I just want to drill down into one aspect of what this is talking about here, of what we're told here, and that is the reason why. 
What's the reason why we are told to acknowledge our leaders and hold them in the highest regard? In I wonder how you would answer that question. Why should we do that? Maybe you just say, well, because God says so. That sounds like an okay reason, doesn't it? God expects churches to be places where communities where responsibility and authority is willingly exercised and willingly recognised and acknowledged and supported. And so we should do it. And there's some truth to that. But there's more to it than that, I think. Maybe you should say we should do it because our leaders are people too. And so we should love them like we're commanded to love everyone. And again, of course that's true. And it says here, hold them in the highest regard in love. When someone is doing a job among us, and, and especially a job over us, it can be easy to forget that they are one of us, someone who we should love as a brother or sister in Christ. Sadly, in pastoral ministry, who've said to me, People seem to think that the normal expectations of love and kindness and generosity don't apply when they're talking to me. They say they, they treat me as if just I'm just a guy doing a job and they can treat me however they want to. They treat me like a parking inspector or a call centre operator. Not that we should treat parking inspectors or call centre operators badly, but often we do, right? Because we don't think of them as people that we should love and care for. This is saying, don't do that to your leaders. Hold them in the highest regard in love. But still, we haven't quite got to the real issue yet, the real reason yet. And the main reason is right there in the middle of verse 13. Have a look at it with me. Because of their work. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Not because they're especially deserving of respect, not because they've achieved some kind of status that means that we must respect them. Not even because they're good at what they do. No, what to do? To care for our spiritual well-being. And so because of that job, we should uphold them and encourage them and support them in that work rather than undermining that work. You know, other parts of the Bible talk about the role of church leaders as being those who keep watch over your souls. It's kind of like the idea of spiritual lifeguards. I remember one time earlier in this year in, in the summer, I was at the beach and it was a stinking hot day. And there were, so the beach was packed, it was a crowded beach. It was a great day for the beach, but the conditions in the water were not great. There were dangerous rips. And so there's all these people at the beach and in the water and the dangerous rips around. And I can imagine how stressful and difficult it must have been for the lifeguards on duty that day, having to keep watch over all the people on the beach and in the water. But imagine how much more difficult it would have been if some of those people on the beach were picking a fight with the lifeguards and other people were insisting on swimming outside of the flags. And so the lifeguards kept having to go and say, come back into the flags. And they're saying, no, we don't want to. You know, we're good swimmers, we don't have to. Or you got the flags in the wrong place and you're arguing with them. And other people are just distracting the lifeguards with unnecessary things. And all the while, there is some kid who is swimming in, in the flags who's been dumped by a wave, but nobody's watching to see if they're okay. That's not a safe beach. It's making the job of watching over the swimmers that much more difficult. 
Pastoral leaders have the job of watching over our souls. And each one of us have the capacity to support and enhance that work or to undermine it. And so the command here is, well, help them in that. Support them in that. Don't undermine it, because that's going to be bad for everyone. If you make things difficult for those who are leading us, then they're going to do a worse job of caring for you and of caring for other people. And so if we are committed to the spiritual well-being of others, including of ourselves, then that will be reflected in the way that we relate to our leaders. And let me just mention, again, for the sake of time, what I think is probably the most important way that we can, that we can be doing this. And it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's not just kindness and encouragement, as good as that is. Over the years as a pastor, I've been so thankful for and appreciative for the kind words, for the words of, of encouragement, for the generosity of spirit that have been uh, directed towards me from those that I've led. And here at Richmond Anglican, I've already experienced this, and it is a great encouragement. But I want to suggest that there is a, a more important way and a more helpful way that we can acknowledge the work of our leaders and support them in that work, and it's this, by having soft hearts to the word of God. Kind words and encouragement are great, but even more encouraging, even more helpful, is lives that are changed in trust and obedience to Jesus. People who are growing in maturity, people who are serving selflessly, people who are making decisions for the good of others rather than just for themselves, people who are hearing and heeding calls to, to change in positive ways. Nothing encourages and energises pastors more than when people are eager to hear God's word with soft hearts. And particularly when pastors have the difficult responsibility to admonish, as it says here, to say to people, no, you're going the wrong way. You need to change. That's really one of the hardest things that pastors have to do. But when those conversations result in, in godliness and in positive changes, that's an encouragement that's worth more than a thousand kind words. And as you can probably imagine, this really is an area where there is so much potential for, for things to go really well or for things to go badly in churches and have a massive impact on the health of a church. And I can't help but wonder if that's why we get that instruction at the end of verse 13. Live at peace with each other. This is an area where there is so much potential for, for disharmony and a lack of peace, particularly when leaders are admonishing or rebuking or leading in ways that perhaps we don't like. There are so many factors that are working against us in this area. You know, our, our culture around us tends to have a, a fairly negative and skeptical attitude to leaders and we tend to hold leaders in the lowest regard possible. We live in a culture of individualism where I say, well, my business is my business and I will respect leaders only as far as I agree with them. And even just our own sinful nature that says nobody tells me what to do. 
And on top of that, there's the fact that leaders make mistakes, sometimes often. What a recipe for disharmony and lack of peace. And this is saying, don't let it. Don't let there be a lack of peace. Be at peace with each other. This is an area where we particularly need grace and peace with each other from everyone. And this instruction to be at peace with each other, not only does it finish the instruction about how we relate to our leaders, it also, I think, leads helpfully into the next instruction in the next two verses in verse 14 and 15. And I think this is really quite an interesting uh, development following on from the first point, because what it tells us is that the particular responsibility of leaders does not mean an exclusive responsibility of leaders. That even though we're told quite clearly about the importance of pastoral leadership, that instruction is followed directly by the importance of one another ministry, that we should be doing these sorts of things for each other. So notice from verse 14 now that this instruction is talking to everyone. Let me read from verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, warn, help, encourage. And the thing that I particularly want us to notice is that this is a responsibility that is directed to all the brothers and sisters, to everyone. Lifeguards have a particular responsibility to care for the swimmers on the beach, but all swimmers should also be looking out for each other, shouldn't they? I mean, imagine you're at the beach one day and you see someone walking down to the water with their kids and they're about to go into the water outside of the flags where you know there's a rip because the lifeguards just had to save 10 people out of there and they're heading into the water. Are you going to warn them? Are you going to say, hey, don't go there, that's dangerous? Or are you going to say, no, that's the lifeguard's responsibility. I'll leave it to them. It's none of my business and I don't want to have an awkward conversation, frankly. Yes, God has given a particular responsibility to certain people in the church to keep watch over our souls. But that is not to the exclusion of the role that we all have to care for the spiritual well-being of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And indeed, even beyond the church, to share this good news that we have with others of peace with God, of forgiveness of sins, of eternal life. And notice also that the kind of thing that we're instructed to do here is, is not a small thing. There's a full spectrum of ways that we are told to care for each other, from the gentle and positive, I guess you could say, to the really quite firm. In fact, in verse 14, where it says we are to warn the idle, he uses the exact same word that he used back in chapter 12 of what leaders do to admonish. And now it's something that we're all told to do. Warn. Warn the idle and disruptive. And I think he's probably harking back to chapter 4 where people were unwilling to work and so they were being a burden on the, on the people around them in the church community and they were being a bad witness to the wider community around them. Warn them. Encourage the timid. And again, earlier in the letter, he talked about those who were feeling the burden of the persecution they were facing and those who were weighed down with the grief of those who have died. Encourage them. Help the weak. And again, earlier in the letter, he was talking about those who were struggling with sexual immorality. Help 
the weak. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Warn, encourage, help. These are all ways that we can be caring for each other. This is the one another ministry that we can all be part of. It's, it's like, I guess you could say, the beach where the lifeguard is on duty. But also, everyone's swimming between the flags and paying attention when the lifeguard says, hey, you're drifting out of the flags, can you come back in, please? But better than that, the swimmers are looking out for each other, looking after each other. They're swimming in groups. The stronger swimmers are helping the weaker ones and they're encouraging each other to stay in the flags. How much safer is that beach? How much easier is it for the lifeguards to keep watch over everyone? That's the kind of church that we want to be. That's what it will look like, at least in this regard, if we are committed to the spiritual well-being, not just of ourselves, but of each other as well. Let's pray that we will be. Heavenly Father, you know all the ways in which we are tempted to be not at peace with each other. And you know also that in churches, sadly, there is disharmony where there should be unity and peace. And Father, we pray that you will give us such a spirit of the unity that we have in Jesus and such a readiness to sit under God's word together that it will lead to the peace that we are called to have. Father, may leaders exercise our responsibility in a way that is according to how you have called us to lead. And may all of us, Father, um, respond to that leadership in ways that you have called us to respond. And may that lead to the kind of situation where we are growing and building one another up in love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.